Hello and welcome to this uh, Changing Tide for Offshore Assets podcast sponsored by PSG Wealth. Now, according to PSG's 2022 outlook, significant market rotations might occur as a result of growing inflation and interest rate pressure. The market triggers have occurred and uh, they have actually been expedited by the Russia-Ukraine war. Global inflation and interest rate pressure have increased and the revival of uh, China's COVID-19 outbreaks has uh, caused significant supply chain disruptions. Inflation has just exceeded all-time highs throughout the world and in this uh, changing investor landscape, investors need to adapt their thinking around offshore assets. I'm Liwa Gawaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail and I'll be your host for this discussion and uh, joining me is Adrian Pasco, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth. Adrian, greetings to you today. I'm Adiwa. Thanks again for, for having me and thank you to the listeners for, for joining us. No, no, no. Thank you so much for being with us. Now, Adrian, as we begin the discussion, it seems this is an ongoing theme and trend that we've been uh, following through the year. Interest rates, inflation, oil prices, all of that. And having noted some of the major shifts that investors should be wary of, what risks do you see in that offshore space for people that have some of those investments um, you know, outside of the country? Now, I think maybe starting with offshore bonds, it does seem like the floor was reached in terms of yields couldn't go any any lower. And with interest rates set to move higher, bond markets have started to adjust. And we've actually seen bond yields on, on, on US 10 years move to you know 3.25 at peaks. So it seems like there's a there's a reversal being priced in as as interest rates move higher. And I think the question is just how much higher can they go? But it definitely does seem like the symmetry of the risk is not not in favor of, of investors in, in that space. So that, that would have us concerned. And I think more practically in, in recent months is typically we'd expect these bonds to do quite well when the equity markets are under pressure. They're typically the, the asset class that um, does quite well through that environment. So correlations are negative. So from that perspective, it would help you. But what we have actually seen is that investment returns in Offshore equities, U.S. equities in particular, and U.S. bonds have simultaneously started to retreat. So I think the bigger risk in the bond space is that the typical diversification properties aren't holding, at least for the time being. So, so that's obviously a risk. In the equity space, the, the key risk for me would be that valuations are still pricing in unsustainably high volumes and margins. So if you look at the volumes that's currently in, in the US and what's being forecasted through consensus analysts, that does look quite lofty to, to our minds. And the, the profit margins on those volumes are also extremely high at, at record levels. And it's unlikely that that will sustain itself. And so therein lies the, the risk in, in the valuation, because if those volumes start to recede and, and profit margins start to come under pressure, then the valuations as they stand at the moment and the profit forecast as they stand at the moment are way too optimistic. And I think that's where, where the risk lies. And then maybe as a final point, and I think we've seen some sentiment turn towards uh, some of these glamour stocks that have historically done done quite well. So sentiment is starting to turn. And as any South African investor should be able to tell you, is that if sentiment starts to go against you, it's really an uphill battle.
It really is, you know, quite an uphill battle. And just looking at things, both in the fixed income space, like what you were highlighting, and the equity space, uh, it's quite a tough time for people to be trading in this environment, high inflation, high interest rates, all of that. And people are wondering because sometimes, you know, an increase in one factor tends to draw people towards one or the other. But if you have things going up and down simultaneously, it makes that type of decision making that much harder out there. And then uh, you did mention that sentiment uh, turning when it comes to some of the glamour stocks and uh, not not to put too much out there, but uh, I would assume that you're talking about this uh, giant global downturn in terms of tech that we've seen with some of the big stocks losing hundreds, if not billions of dollars out there. Could you just maybe give us a sense, Adrian, you know, what do you mean exactly about that trend? I think I've alluded to it a little bit, but I'm sure you have much more detail about what that has actually meant for investors. I think you know glamour stocks are typically stocks that enjoy plenty of limelight and which usually enjoy a, a lot of popularity amongst investors. And that popularity is typically propelled through a narrative that that excites people. So I mean something like like Bitcoin comes to mind at, at the far end of the extreme. So that's done really well because that's something that excited a lot of people. But you're right. I mean, tech shares often fall into that trap as well. And we've seen it through multiple cycles. And it's it's something that can very easily be positioned along a narrative that speaks of a lot of technological advances and how companies will benefit and make super profits. But it's not the only sector, actually, that's that's fallen to that, uh, you know, glamour narrative. We've previously seen the commodity super cycle narrative, which is also effectively, at least in my mind, a type of glamour stock story. So as those stocks move through that super cycle, the story was China is growing into perpetuity at levels that is just unattainable by many of the other economies. And that's going to translate into a massive supply demand issue because the, the demands they have is just way in excess of the supply available and commodity prices will continue to accelerate. And that also eventually came to an end as investors started to realize that the story wasn't a bit maybe over optimistic. And then you see an unwind of that. So it does affect various cycles, but I think you're spot on. I mean, where we see this currently taking place is, is in the tech space. No, most certainly. And even the other ones that you are highlighting, commodities, I'm pretty sure that our own government in South Africa would agree with you about the the glamour inside commodities because that was a big gain for the local fiscus. But one wonders how long any of those gains can be sustained for. And given everything that you're saying then, Adrian, by the looks of things, the rising interest rates will continue to negatively impact most offshore asset classes. Would you say that domestic asset classes have a better chance of outperforming uh, offshore because that tends to be this big debate to say, you know, if I'm an investor, can I get my proper returns in the local market or am I just better off going and um, taking advantage of some of the bigger global trends? But if some of that sentiment is turning like what you're saying, it's a bit of, it sounds like a bit of a catch-22. Do, uh, do they stick it out out there? Or do you advise that, you know, maybe bring it uh, home and they can actually get some returns locally? I think, you know, without being overly negative on on offshore assets, because offshore assets has an important role to play in in a portfolio from a diversification perspective. But if we go back to where, I mean, if I think 
back to how we thought about offshore investing 10 years ago, the, the prospects were quite good. You know, it was, especially after GFC, the, the PE multiples of the S&P 500 was single digits. It's almost unthinkable to, in comparison to where it is now. And the profit margins were flat in, in, in GFC. So if you assume that, you know, there would be some recovery, some profit margin recovery to more normalized levels, the market was ridiculously cheap. And we've seen what happened. I mean, the S&P was around, I think, 700 at that point, where it peaked earlier this year at around 4,500. So you can see why that, that recovery took place. But if you think of where we stand now, things look a lot different. And the key attributes of offshore investing, to our minds, is more diversification and risk management in a bigger portfolio. The the key attributes isn't really so much the return. It's not going to be the return driver in your portfolio as it has been in the previous 10 years. So if you had a typical balance fund, most of the returns were propelled through offshore investments. And that's unlikely to continue. I think South African assets will, will step into those shoes and start driving the returns in a portfolio. And offshore investing will start to rely on its uh, more traditional attributes, which is primarily the diversification component, which is if we do hit a big smash and we see a blowout in the currency, that will typically benefit your offshore investment. So it's really there as an as a insurance component more than the key driver in the portfolio. Naturally, if I'm wrong and the returns are much better, then that's fantastic. But we do think South African asset classes are poised quite well. So if you look at our 10-year bond, you know, it's yielding above 10%, which is fantastic. I mean, that's a real return of 4%. Most offshore investors will give a left arm to get, you know, 4% yield return. Um, and that's what South African investors get out of bond returns, never mind going up the risk curve into equities. And at the same time, keep in mind, South Africa is a commodity-centric country. So there's an inherent hedge against commodity price-driven inflation. And that's really what we see to a large extent. Commodity prices is how it's translating in higher prices globally across the spectrum. But for South African firms that are in the mining sector that are producing these higher commodities, they're obviously generating super profits of that commodity inflation. So there's a hedge there for South African assets. But we're not completely reliant just on that component, although it has been a, a big driver. I think our banks are also set to do quite well, because if you look at our yield curve slope, for example, so without getting too technical, it's just the, the interest that they need to, to pay investors on the shorter end of loans versus what they receive on the longer end of loans. That's, that difference is now getting bigger as interest rates move higher. So banks are likely to have better profit margins, but we need to keep in mind the volume growth. So if there's a recession here, you know, what's going to happen to credit volume? So typically people borrow less in terms of funding, whatever they need, cars, houses, et cetera. But if you look at the the what's in the assumptions, so going back to the example on the US, you know, the what was priced in in 2009 was 0% profit margin. That's sort of where we are in South Africa. Our valuations on, on the bonds and equities are reflecting weak volumes, very weak profit margins. So even if we're right, there's still very little downside. Those things are not going to come as a surprise to markets. But if you compare that to the US, for example, expectations of you know unchallenged volumes, unchallenged profit margins, and high multiples, you're really positioning the odds against yourself because even if there's just a minor disappointment, there's going to be a shake-up in markets. I think markets are starting to to wake up to to that risks, and that's really what to those risks, and that that's what we've seen uh, this year so far.
It is quite an interesting uh, time to be investing and, you know, on the local front, always good to see and hear situations where there is a chance for people to get good returns on the local front, highlighting things like the local bond market, maybe, you know, financial services. And I think more importantly, just the fact that even in the middle of a crisis like the one that we have now, there are those opportunities that certain sectors will be able to take advantage of. Like you said, the high interest rates for banks might improve margins, but at the same time on balance, you wonder how all of that uh, you know, actually balances out when you look at the other macroeconomic factors. You've now highlighted quite a number of issues since we started talking, Adrian, for today's session. Any other pitfalls that you think investors uh, should actually be looking out or watching out for at the moment? From what we see, uh, mistakes being made out there at the moment, I think there's a level of over-optimism, as I mentioned, particularly as it applies to volumes and margins in in the offshore investing, particularly in the US space. On the other side of that point, over-pessimism is, is an equally big mistake. And I think that we see on our on our SA bond market and equities to an extent as well. And then there's an element of ignoring known risks. So if you look at the US bond market, um, as we've mentioned, it, I mean, inflation is high, interest rates are going up, debt to GDP levels in the US is going through the roof. They're trying to unwind the, the balance sheet. Those are all things that we know. And the bond market has reacted. But I mean, it does feel like, a, you know, a 3% a three on the 10-year doesn't accurately reflect the, the risks, to, at least in my mind. And then I think investors are also ignoring lessons from history. There's, there's a natural cyclicality of things that should be respected. So it's never the case where local markets continue to outperform offshore ones and offshore markets continue to outperform local ones. Those trends continue long enough for investors to forget what happened during previous cycles. But there is a cyclicality. U.S. markets tend to outperform local ones for a while until the cycle reverses. And then that trend continues for a while. And it continues to flip-flop. And it almost looks like a DNA string as a graph. And and that cyclicality should be kept in mind. And U.S. markets have outperformed local ones for a very, very long time until, until quite recently. So those are the things we should keep in mind. We see something similar taking place in the value and growth debate. So growth has continued to outperform value for a very long time, and that could reverse. And we've seen we've seen that start, and that also has something to do with interest rates. So so ignoring the lessons from history and the cyclicality of things is, is a big mistake, especially at an inflection point that we are witnessing right now. And then maybe as a final point, you know, we should keep in mind that sometimes we, we sense that investors tend to look at PE multiples and valuations as a steady state. So for example, there should be sixteen where there's reasons why they can move higher or lower than the average during periods. So if the valuation multiple for US equities price earnings to ratio is long-term 16, for example, there might be good reasons why they're moving towards 20. But look at those same reasons for why we think they can potentially move to 12, for example. Not that I'm saying that that's the case. But, you know, keeping in mind that valuations do change and consider the backdrop that you're in and consider where input costs are going, interest rates are going, and then adjust expectations accordingly. And then you've got to see where markets are and where you think they're going to go. And what does that transition imply for your investment prospects? 
Uh, certainly a lot of things, you know, to be thinking about, and especially the, the, the history piece that you highlighted right now, you know, very important to look at some of the lessons from the past. So as we're closing off, Adrian, just to round up everything that we've been discussing today, what are the realistic expectations that investors uh, should probably have at the moment when it comes to offshore assets? That's the first one. And secondly, what's the advice around that? Because we've now, you know, given our arguments just around the internal, external factors for keeping your money in South Africa, out of South Africa, etc. But now boiling it all down, realistically, how should people be thinking about offshore assets? What's your advice? You know, I think in, in, I mean, a, a lot of the debate revolves around equity markets because that really is the pulse for, for the globe. And if you look at, at bonds, for example, as I mentioned, it's been in a 40 year bull market. And, and what we've seen is uh, the fisc has come under pressure. So, so debt to GDP has grown fourfold since the, gl- the global financial crisis. You know, we, we saw debt to GDP in the US at around 30% not too long ago. Currently, it's over 100%. And that's the kind of thing that that should be a concern, especially if bond yields have actually moved in the opposite direction. So they've moved lower, which would have signaled that there's an improvement on on the on the U.S. fiscus, but it hasn't been the case. So that should be something that prompts the investor to have a look. I think if we look at the three percent bond yield return, you know, I, I, and that assumes that there's no no rewriting of the asset class. That's probably slightly optimistic because there, there could be a rewriting as interest rates move higher and we've seen that already and if you experience a 15 percent decline on an asset that's generating three percent per annum obviously that's material and then on the equity side of things even if we assume a, a 25 multiple on a pe ratio is justified which to our minds it isn't it means that um, you're generating a 4% earnings yield out of that asset. So just keeping it there and as the earnings are pushed through, you would typically get a, a 4% yield. And then typically the, the dividends out of the US is around one and a half. So I think um, slightly generously, you're probably expecting mid-single digits out of US investments without the currency impact. So it's not great um, and a lot less than what we have become accustomed to. But again, the, going back to my earlier point, the purpose of offshore investing has gone back to diversification and risk benefits as opposed to being the, the propeller of, of returns going forward. So just be, be careful in terms of if you've positioned your portfolio thinking that you're going to generate far better returns out of offshore markets, that might be the wrong stance. And, and you need to ask yourself, how much offshore do I need to offset the risks in my portfolio given the exposure I have to other assets and asset classes domestically and elsewhere. I think that's a much better question to, to be asking yourself when you put the portfolio together. So, so you can hear far more muted expectations, but in terms of the diversification properties, actually quite, quite good. I, I think it's essential part of the portfolio. In terms of the advice, I think, you know, when things are, are as volatile as what they are, um, for me, it, it always suggests that there's very high levels of uncertainty. And that's, that's ultimately why the volatility is there. And, and in an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty, you need to go back to first principles and focus on the things that you know for sure, as opposed to worrying so much about the things that you're not really sure of. And it's unlikely that you can get to a solid conclusion, even if you worry for the next two weeks about it. So you've just got to focus on the things that you know for sure. 
And what we know for sure is that saving more is better than saving less. So for investors who, who ask themselves, should I be investing now? Markets look turbulent, et cetera, et cetera. That might be true, but those things come out of the wash in a 40-year retirement plan. The, the risk that investors face is that they stop saving for three or four or five years because they're waiting for a better time. I'd rather continue with your savings plan. There could be volatility and, and you know, there might be downward pressure on, on that for six months or 12 months even or whatever the case may be. But eventually, you'll be glad that you made the investment as it grows over the long term. And, and I think that brings me to a second point of advice is just thinking longer term has a much better success rate than thinking short term. Over the short term, you start to give sentiment a lot of power. When you think long-term, you give the fundamentals and the facts more power and sentiment starts to matter less. So if you start to think longer term, you start to position the probabilities in your favor and the likelihood of making mistakes um, becomes less. So so maybe just as, as two really fundamental things, as you can tell, I mean, these aren't, uh, these aren't like very technical, you know, uh, equity valuation-driven things, but in terms of client behavior, I think those are two good pieces for advice. Go back to first principles and focus on the things that you can control. You can't control where markets are going, but you can control your own savings habits and how you think about your investments, etc. So very interesting discussion there with Adrian highlighting how people should be thinking about or gauging their offshore assets and offshore investments in the current investment climate. One of the big things that, uh, you know, Adrian was highlighting is the fact that we are in a high inflation, high interest rate type of environment, which is forcing people to reconsider how to balance their portfolios. And despite the fact that there is a bit of a downturn, he says there is a place for your offshore assets, but that place is sort of shifting back to a more traditional type of role where they serve more as a way to diversify the portfolio, saying that there is a chance to get some better returns through local investments, but the offshore investments are still key and are still uh, a big and integral part of uh, of one's portfolio. You just have to rethink you know, what that is. And one of the big things that uh, I personally take away is the history element because he mentions you need to think long term but he also says look at the history because a lot of the things that are happening are cyclical and the fact that history does tell you over time you know which way things are either gonna go or the way that they happened in the past to help you to inform some of those investment decisions so that's been it for this changing tide for offshore assets uh, discussion sponsored by PSG Wealth I've been talking to Adrian Pascal, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth, and I've been your host, Mbuliwa Gavaza, of the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Cost, or wherever you choose to get your podcast.